Hello and welcome to episode 1995 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs and I am joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you? Doing okay. How are you? Doing okay. I think I know how to help someone who is not doing okay and that's Giancarlo Stanton. I think I have a possible cure or preventative treatment that could keep Giancarlo on the field and I say this with no medical expertise whatsoever. Not a doctor, not a trainer, no one take my advice. However, everyone knows Giancarlo Stanton seems to be prone to injuries these yeah. days, uh, particularly lower body leg type injuries, yeah. right? So he has a hamstring strain now. Yeah. It's grade two. He'll probably be out for several weeks. It's not the first hamstring strain that has caused him some time. And he's also, in addition to hamstring stuff, he's had knee stuff. He's had ankle injuries. He's had quad strains. So yeah. he just uh, can't seem to stay on the field. And I was reading the other day about moose scourin as one does. And Moose Gowron, for those who don't know, he was uh, really a formidable slugger in his day, a Yankees slugger, actually a a lot in common with John Carroll Stanton in that he was a a Yankees right-handed hitter who was very speedy in his youth and then lost a lot of that speed as he got older because of repeated injuries that kept him off the field. And he played during the 50s and 60s. And in the mid to late 50s, he had a string of injuries. So just reading here from a 1960 article, in 1955, he hurt a leg muscle. I think it was a thigh in 57, thumb, toe, and back muscle, 58, a back muscle, 59, he had a leg muscle problem, he was hit by a pitch, then he re-injured the back, then he broke his wrist. So it was a combination of more accidental type injuries Mm. and repeated injuries to his back and also his lower body. He kept having leg problems like Carlos Stanton. And here's what he did. He he got some recommendations. He got some great advice here, how to prevent himself from getting hurt again. So I'm just going to read from this January 1960 piece, the subheading, Swimming Recommended. Oh. Scourin reported that doctors at the Mayo Clinic told him his repeated muscle injuries were caused by the fact that his muscles tear instead of stretching. Mm. They recommended swimming. I played marbles and checkers when I was a kid, said the burly first baseman, but I never learned to swim. Scourin claimed with an embarrassed grin that he has learned how to swim recently, quote unquote learned, but then had to admit that he stays out of the deep water because he hasn't learned how to stay afloat. Oh, However, this was the recommended treatment. So this article calls him baseball's most brittle muscle man, which is <laughs> probably something oh, you could no. say about Giancarlo Stanton these yeah. days, right? And uh, another uh, May 1960 article I was reading uh, talks about how Casey Stengel, the Yankees manager, was an admirer of the man's muscles and that he was watching him hit. And he said, he's got muscles he hasn't even used yet. And Scourin <laughs> said, if I could just stay at one piece for a change, I've got a chance for that real big year, both for me and the ball club. So same sort of story here, exactly. Another parallel, Muscarin, 129 career OPS plus for the Yankees. John Carlos Stanton, 129 career OPS plus for the Yankees. Eerie. Eerie So I'm saying swimming could be the answer here. So 
So the Yankees sent him to the Mayo Clinic. Their co-owner at the time, Dan Topping, went to the Mayo Clinic, wanted to find out if Scourin was possibly accident prone. Huh. And if so, could he be cured? How, wait, how, how would one determine <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> just, just like, I, I don't know, have them like run around an obstacle course or something and see if they hurt themselves. How would you determine whether someone is accident know. prone? Just observe them, see if they trip over stuff. I don't know. Yeah, like if you, you know, if you yell their name like really suddenly and they start <laughs> yeah. and then and they fall over and you're like, kind of clutch that guy. Yeah, just like lay banana peels in front of them and see if they slip. <laughs> are you are you then determining whether they're accident prone or just not observant? Like, yeah, you or, know, or sabotage prone. I suppose, in that sense, unethical to test that. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose those are probably related concepts, right? Yeah, but but this May 1960 article says the Mayo report brought out at least a partial medical explanation. It seems Scourin's muscles don't have the elasticity of the average athletes, and sudden movements are likely to tear them loose. However, the clinic said there's no such thing as an accident-prone player. Yeah, that uh, feels not real. Like some, yeah, so some players it said are just unlucky. You got to go to the Mayo Clinic to find out that some people are unlucky. But you know, there's real science involved, Ben. Yeah, but I guess there was science in the muscle elasticity part, and so they told him to swim. And so he said, wow. "I've been going into the pool three or four days a week yeah. for the last couple of winters, and it." seemed to work. So the first few seasons after this great breakthrough, this swimming advice, he played in 91% of the Yankees games, which was by far his best stretch of staying healthy over that span in his career. So I, I've just got to say, Giancarlo, I mean, I know he's done some yoga. Uh, he, he even has uh, some yoga like instructional videos from several years ago. Sure. So he has worked on flexibility stuff, but couldn't find any evidence that he swims. I mean, he quite possibly swims, but I just sure. couldn't find any articles uh, specifically mentioning that he swims. Interesting. So, yeah, I, I think perhaps we uh, we got to get him in the pool here and this might be the secret. I thought, I was convinced that you were going to go back on your um, previously reckless advice that one need not stretch. Oh, yeah. I still stand by that. He, he's probably stretching too much. That's probably the issue. That is absolutely not the <laughs> issue, Ben. Like, I am also not a medical professional in any way, shape, or form. Um, and yet, despite my lack of expertise, I do feel confident that it is not a, an overabundance of stretching that seems yeah. likely to be the well, issue. We have debated this before on a Patreon pod, I believe. There, there is some medical backing for my stance. I'm talking about Static stretching, to be clear, not not like warm ups, uh, just you know, like bending over and touching your toes or whatever. It, it seems like there's increasingly a consensus uh-huh. that that may not actually improve anything. Spoken <laughs> but, like a man who is capable of touching his toes, <laughs> unlike some of us, Ben. Also, a man who has not uh, strained his hamstring recently. So I'm just saying. I also have not played professional sports recently or ever, but. <laughs> I have I have swum. You have so, swum? 
yeah, that has uh, kept me safe. So just saying, free yeah. advice for Giancarlo and the Yankees, I'm sure extremely qualified medical staff yeah. based on 60 plus year old advice given to Moose Scourin, which I, I just happened to read this the other day. And when I saw that Giancarlo Stanton heard, I was like, Eureka, another <laughs> muscle bound right handed Yankees slugger with sort of the yeah. same offensive stats and the same injury issue. I know how to fix this because I have read my history. I just am envisioning you sitting in your apartment, like reading this and then looking around like, you guys, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I did it. I figured, I figured it, it out. out. Yeah, just sending an email to Brian Cashman, <laughs> subject line, swimming. <laughs> I, got a, I got a hot, hot tip. Yeah. Um, I think a couple of things, uh, but most most notably that I would I would imagine so. Like, you know, swimming is, is good for you. And it, it you know, it, it kind of cross-trains different stuff. It's low impact, right? And, mm-hmm. and yeah. I imagine that if you're Giancarlo Stanton and you're dealing with you know, trying to stay in some amount of game shape, but also you don't want to aggravate it. Like, and you, you are built like a, a demigod, then it mm-hmm. might be beneficial to have a, yeah. a low impact means of training. I could see it, Ben. I, I yeah. think, I think you might be onto something. And if he couples that with a good regime of informed stretching, <laughs> he might really be onto something. You might, you know, you might have cracked the case, as it were. Well, he's getting a second opinion from you about the stretching. I guess I, I do not necessarily recommend that. I mean, I'm sure he's stretching, and and look what's happening. This is, you know, I won't say that that it's caused by the stretching. Wow, but there's wow. clearly a correlation big, here between <laughs> big accusations. Big yeah. accusations abound in in this episode. Um, I hope that he is listening to really anyone but me about um, what he. Should should do because as I have said, not a medical professional. Don't Mm-mm. don't know. No, you know? No. But I do know a lot about Muscarin. So there's that. There you I stayed go. at a Holiday Inn Express and I read about Muscarin the other day. It is, you know, it is a kind of expertise. Is it the most relevant kind of expertise? I mean, I think that's debatable, but it is an expertise. So mm-hmm. yeah, know, I mean, they're do? probably at the point of like, let's try anything. Sure. You know, this, oh yeah. This this quack on a podcast is coming in here with this sixty uh, year old advice from the Mayo Clinic. I mean, it is Mayo Clinic advice. Right. You know, it's from the 1960s. So for all I know, they were like smoke two packs a day and you'll be just fine. Yeah. (laughs) But but it was coming from qualified experts uh, at the time. Now, perhaps the science has advanced in the subsequent several decades. But anyway. At least we're uh, past the point where they were probably like, have you tried opium? You know? Like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Probably the Mayo Clinic was saying you shouldn't smoke at that time too. But, you know, big tobacco. uh, You never know, Ben. Yeah. But... Big Pool is uh, sponsoring Effectively Wild here, so that's (laughs) (laughs) just to disclose. It's a literally big pool, Olympic-sized. It would have to be to contain Giancarlo Stanton and Moose Gowron, so. I mean, especially simultaneously. Yeah, I know. They could get Josh Donaldson on the swimming regimen, too, since he seems to have the same issue. Anyway, I have a couple other outfielder notes. I don't want to alarm anyone or excite anyone Mm. unduly, Mm. but... Cody Pellinger has a 135 WRC plus as we speak. Yeah. Now, 
that is uh, coming off a five for five night. Sure. So I'm picking my moment here. Sure. And uh, perhaps he will not do that every night. And then the WRC plus will go down. Although I think that was his first five hit night. So he's reaching new offensive highs. And look, small sample. We're still within the bounds of Voros's law, Voros's, Voros McCracken's uh, rule of thumb that any major league hitter can hit just about anything in 60 at bats. Oh, sure. I believe Cody Bellinger is at 58 at bats oh, right boy. now. Also, Danger so, zone. Yeah, squarely in the Voros as well, bullseye here. But hey, Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Is Cody Bellinger back. Yeah. I mean, it would be tremendously exciting. Um, for him and for Cubs fans, if that ended up mm-hmm. being true, do I find it likely? I mean, I wouldn't say that, um, but you know, he's a he's a tricky one. He's a tricky one, Ben, because on the one hand, we've seen what he can do when it's all going right, right? It's like yeah. an MVP performance. Can win an MVP, yeah. Was he sort of swooning? Um, not as dramatically as he has the last you know, a couple years, but swooning um, before the postseason celebration injury. I mean, yeah, he was. It was not, it is not simply a matter of having been hurt. There was other stuff going on. Yeah. But um, he probably started swimming is what happens. I, I haven't found any corroboration of that yet. I just Googled <laughs> Cody Bellinger swimming to see if maybe that was his offseason <laughs> regimen, but no, no evidence. But also I can't deny that that was what happened. Yeah. I, I can't decide if you're in the tank for Big Pool or if you're actively <laughs> campaigning big against Big Pool. It's, <laughs> you know, it's a really confusing message. If if you were working as a lobbyist, I would say that you might not, um, you know, accomplish your legislative goals. But he had this, you know, swoon. He was swooning and then he got hurt. And then I was like, how much is it? The swoon versus being hurt versus him just having this wild long stretch where he w- played the best baseball of his life, won an MVP, and then kind of was set up um to to disappoint um, by virtue of his own supremely good performance for a limited stretch. Hard to say. Uh, would be nice if he were some good version of himself, though, because I imagine mm-hmm. he'd find that quite satisfying. Um, he's never been someone I felt confident had, like, did a, a, a great job of making sustained adjustments, right? Like, do you remember his first postseason where mm-hmm. it was like, as long as you were throwing like a back foot breaking ball, you could pretty confidently get him out. And then he adjusted and he was like, yes. he was able to hit well against the, that pitch type. And then, um, and then it just, it vanished again. And, and you're like, but you could do it before. Why can't you keep doing it? You know, what's the, what's going on. And so I've just, I, I find him very perplexing. I, I don't quite know what sort of player Cody Bellinger really is other than someone who is, um, you know, kind of fun to meme. And then it wasn't fun to meme him because he was playing so poorly and you didn't want to mm-hmm. like make fun of the, the young man, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know if this is all that meaningful. He has uh, struck out not often at all, mm. but he also has a higher BABIP. Now he's had an extremely low BABIP over the right. past few years, but yeah. he's, uh, he's overperforming his batted ball quality stats and it doesn't look like he's hitting the ball particularly harder or hitting mm. it hard with greater regularity or Mm. barreling it more often or anything like that that might encourage you. But even so, (laughs) so I'm sure he's made some tweaks. Uh, One of the episodes last year when you were traveling, I think I did a a roundtable episode where I convened some mechanical experts and they gave their advice about how to bring back Cody Bellinger and perhaps 
uh, some changes have been made, who knows. But if he's good again, then we've talked about how light the free agent market looks, especially for yeah. position players. But if he were to bounce back and be a star again, then that would change things because he would be much in demand. He was much in demand even when he was looking for a one-year deal, but he would be looking for a much longer term and more lucrative deal if he could sustain this. But we're a long way away from him sustaining this. It's just uh, it's fun to see him having a nice few weeks. Yeah, you, you, you enjoy it for the sake of the, the player, if nothing else. Yeah, it is going to be... It's an underwhelming market, you know? It's very exciting right at the tippy top. And then after yes. that, it's... <laughs> it's Otani, and then it's everyone else. <laughs> yeah, which would be the case regardless, but it's a big, big drop-off. Yeah, it's per- it, it feels like a particularly precipitous fall, given the, the quality of the guys behind him, for sure. Yeah. That five-hit game came against Bellinger's old team, the Dodgers. And did you see the pitch clock violation. I did. He was assessed to, when he stepped out of the box for a minute to receive a, a standing ovation. Actually, I, I misspoke. That was not against the Dodgers. He had just played the Dodgers for three games and then they went to play the ace and he got five hits, which I guess checks out because sure. it's the ace. <laughs> but yeah. a little less impressive coming against the ace than it would have been against the Dodgers. But Certainly. he had a nice series against the Dodgers too. Yeah. And there was that moment where he got the appreciation of the home crowds and <laughs> then he started that play for it's down 0-1 because he took too long to be in the box ready to face the pitcher, which was like, read the room, you know, just like, let's uh, give him a special dispensation for this moment. Come on. <laughs> have some feel, you know, have a little yeah. bit of feel. And, you know, look, we all have our moments of not reading the room. We, we are none of us perfect in this regard, but. Uh, normally you don't have such a loud reminder from the room <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> of what the, of what the text might offer if I can continue to mix a metaphor. So, um, yeah, like what you doing? I, I get, we want to keep things moving along, but yeah. also we're here to enjoy ourselves. And what about that moment suggested to you that the crowd was keen to move on? They are loudly saying we'd like to pause in fact. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, let let stuff around you be your guide every now and again, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. One of the keys to enforcement, I think, is to have it be uniform and have it be strict and consistent. And yes. otherwise, if you start letting things slide, then uh, people look for loopholes and they try to exploit that. And then the next thing you know, it's a slippery slope and uh, game times are creeping up again and Guys are getting lax about things. So I get that, you know, there is an importance to be placed on just uh, having it be really implemented all the time, but also but that also, particular time. Yeah. Relax. <laughs> you know, yeah. the other thing about it is relax. Cause I think that you're right that you want, um, I think any system of rules needs to feel well fair, ideally, right? If it feels fair, the odds that you are going to be able to really press the point when a violation occurs are better because people will be like, yeah, I broke that rule, but that rule is fundamentally a fair one. And it's, it's like you said, uniformly enforced, right? There's no dispensation granted. Also, like, I think that we need to, if you're considering edge cases where enforcement might be um, loosened, loosened ever so slightly, part of what you want to think about is like, is this actually a situation where a future rule abider 
could become a rule violator in a way that isn't in keeping with an an exception that we deem to be appropriate. And mm-hmm. I would say that in this instance, you don't really have to worry about that because how many how many times do you really have a guy coming home to his former ballpark and the fans, the fans are really the ones who in, instigated that moment. It was not like Cody Bellinger was like, cheer for me, you know, yeah. like, cause in that case, I think you should assess him a rule violation. Cause that's like kind of big headed of you, Cody, but that's yeah. not what he did. So you you don't really have, um, I think a, an intense danger of violation in a way that would render the rule unusable. And so I say, read the room because we're not you know we don't we don't want the system to be any more punitive than it needs to be and i think it's important to remember the intent of the rule and the intent of the rule is to improve the entertainment experience of the the fans and mm-hmm. and so again let them in this kind of moment be your guide and chill you know mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem too exploitable that uh, guys are going to be spending several seasons with a team winning an MVP award (laughs) just so that when they return to that team after departing, they can perhaps get a few extra seconds on the pitch clock. (laughs) Seems seems unlikely to be an avenue to to these sorts of things. I mean, look, I don't want to say that um, goofy stuff doesn't happen. It does. Of course it does. But also... Yeah, I was thinking of this this weekend because back on episode 1708, a couple of years ago, we had Josh Beck on, a listener who was also a criminology Mm -hmm. expert. We were talking about the sticky stuff enforcement and whether MLB was going about uh, enforcing that in the right way. And he brought that up on Twitter this weekend because of the Domingo Herman episode yeah. in the Yankees Twins game where Herman was pitching really well and he got checked for sticky stuff and he did have sticky stuff, but he said it was rosin, which is legal. And they told him to wash it off. And then he came back and there was still some stickiness there and he didn't get ejected. And Rocco Baldelli, Twins manager, was upset and he then got ejected. And mm. Josh Beck was saying on Twitter that he brought this up way back when on effect. Wow, deterrence theory relies on certainty of punishment. So if there's any chance you can get caught but not punished, you're more willing to risk it. If it's rosin and legal, then no need to wash it off. If it's sticky stuff, then he needs to be ejected. So you could talk about that being a time when perhaps they should have been stricter. But I don't think that Cody Bellinger, that's a situation that uh, he was trying to exploit anything or that anyone else could. So, yes, that was uh, it was amusing for me, but maybe not so much for Cody Bellinger. It's like this guy's getting applauded and the umpire's like, you know what, don't get a big head here you know you're, right. you're just like anyone else the pitch clock applies to you too it's like the memento mori like the person you know riding with caesar or whatever and and whispering in their ear that they too will die someday when when they're like parading through rome and and just getting feted and the umpires there to be like hey don't get too big for your breaches here you know you may be beloved here they may be grateful for all that you did when you were a dodger but also you got face the pitcher with eight seconds left on the clock and be ready to hit or else uh, there will be a strike assessed. Or else. Or else. Now here's my other outfielder bit. This is about an outfielder who is not doing so hot and that's Juan Soto. Mm. And this is also related to the pitch clock. So Juan Soto 
not hitting like Juan Soto, oh, not even like last year's Padre Juan Soto, which was a, a bit of a disappointment too. But he's been almost a league average producer just because he's still walking so much, but he's batting 164. He's slugging 361. That's not what you want from Juan Soto. And here is a tweet from ESPN's Alden Gonzalez. Juan Soto is still having a hard time adjusting to the pitch clock. He specifically lamented there not being enough time coming out of the on-deck circle to get himself ready and begin plate appearances. Quote, there's no time at all. You can't even play mind games anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we all know Juan Soto, he likes to try to psych out the pitcher, which yeah. is uh, fun for fans, too, just watching him do his thing in there. I do appreciate I just, the honesty of that. Like, hey, yeah, hey, right. I'm trying to be a scamp. Why won't yeah. you let me? And I was just uh, imagining this is almost like an effectively wild hypothetical. I guess yeah. it is actually that because I'm bringing it up on effectively wild now. But imagine if the pitch clock just broke Juan Soto, like everyone yeah. else was was pretty much fine and adjusted and went about their business. But Juan Soto was just never great again because it turns out that he's just such a, a hitting savant and, and he's so smart and he's thinking and outthinking. And those extra seconds that it took to predict the pitch type and anticipate what the pitch would be and then maybe get in the pitcher's head, that was secretly the key to his success all along. And now the pitch clock is his kryptonite and he will never be good again. And it's just a a Juan Soto only issue. He was just more dependent on the pitch clock or on the lack of a pitch clock than we ever knew. And the the great Soto is is gone for good. And I was uh, thinking like, you know, would it would be worth it to lose the great, the historically wonderful Juan Soto in oh. order to slash 20 to 30 minutes off the average game. Know. And uh, that's a tough one because, yeah. boy, I would miss the great Juan Soto, but it's also uh, pretty sweet having the pitch clock these days, I would say. So I think that the greatness of Juan Soto might have to be sacrificed at the altar of uh, trimming that time off of games. But but imagine, I will be relieved now when, and I do say when and not if, Juan Soto eventually starts hitting yeah. and I can rule out the pitch clock kryptonite theory. But I was thinking, you know, what if, what if? What if? I mean, I imagine, I imagine it'll be fine. I think it's probably going to, I think it's probably, probably going to be fine. But also... Yeah. I, it is it is a little alarming. Like I I don't think that we have we have like dramatically altered our career expectations for Soto. Like I will speak for myself. Perhaps I I do not find my um, career expectations for him altered. But I I will say it it has been a minute now. You know. It has. Yeah. I would, he sort of, you know, he, he started slow last year and then he, he hit better and then he went to San Diego and started really slow there and and was still like good, but, but not what they were hoping he would be. And now slow start again. He, it's not his first slow start. I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be fine. (laughs) I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be fine. But I just like to see it. Yeah, I'm I'd sure like he'll be fine. fine. You know, how many different ways can I say this? Yeah, <laughs> right. And then the last outfielder related news, although I guess perhaps now he's preparing to be a first baseman for the short term. But Bryce Harper, right? Everyone's on Bryce Harper return watch because at first we heard that it might be not until the All-Star break that he comes back. But right. it, it sounds more and more like he might beat that, right? And I think actually we're speaking on Tuesday. I think 
he was scheduled to face some live pitching. I, I think he yes. was going to take some pitches off of Ranger Suarez, who's also been hurt for the Phillies. And, yeah. you know, he's uh, very much on the comeback trail here. And it's still a question about when he'll be able to play the outfield because we don't know when he'll be able to throw. And so he's right. been taking some reps at first base where the Phillies have a hole. But one thing that caught my eye that's kind of interesting is that apparently he might not need to have a rehab assignment, which when I saw that at first, I thought, wow, impossible. yeah, it seems impossible, right? I mean, he had Tommy John surgery. Right. He's missed a lot of games. He's been out of action for a long time. Yeah. Like, Of course, he would have a rehab assignment. Yeah. Now, I think he had a brief one last year yes. after he broke his thumb and was out he for did. a while. He he only had like 10 plate appearances. Yeah, it wasn't so I very guess, much. Yeah, he might just not be big on the idea of uh, taking reps down there where it doesn't count. But even Phillies manager Rob Thompson was saying, I really don't know if he will go on an assignment. I mean, if he's swinging the bat well and he feels good, I say, why waste it? And Harper also said that he could get those reps without going to AAA and that at that point, when he's healthy enough to play, he just needs to get back. It's good talent down there. It's nothing against that at all. But big league talent's a little bit different. A big league game is a little bit different. The more big league talent I get to see, the better it's going to be for me. And the interesting thing reading from this article in the Philadelphia Inquirer is that Harper, in theory, can see big league talent without actually getting into games because the Phillies are one of these teams that has this system called traject. It's called the traject arc. I wrote about this a couple of years ago that there's been this uh, arms race basically, or or I guess it, it's almost literally an arms race to yeah. try to perfect pitching machines right? and try to really get the movement down exactly and dial it in so that it perfectly mimics the characteristics of actual major league pitchers pitch movement down to seam shifted wake and everything else, all the little subtleties. And then also you can pair it with a video display. So it looks like it's uh, coming out of the pitcher's release point, right? So it's as realistic as it could possibly be. And so the suggestion here is that because the Phillies have this in their batting cages at Citizens Bank Park, and it can replicate the pitch mixes and deliveries of specific major league pitchers. Thompson says, you can put a video up there and the machine will mimic a pitcher's stuff, velocity, movement, pitches. That's like getting at bats, you know? It can allow us to kind of expedite the whole thing. So I wrote about that in the context of, is this a way for hitters to even things out and to keep up with pitchers constantly innovating and using new types of technology? Well, maybe if hitters can practice against game speed and game quality stuff, then maybe that could be a bit of an equalizer. Yeah. I had not even considered this, though, that it might spare you having to play some games and, and you know, get like four at-bats in a game, right? I mean, you could take as many at-bats as you want in a compressed period against one of these new-age, uh, hyper-advanced pitching machines. Yeah. And in theory, it's like compressing a, a rehab assignment or better than a rehab assignment because you're not actually facing that stuff in AAA. That could get you back on the field sooner. So that's just an application of the technology I had not considered. It's uh, it's kind of cool. I bet AAA clubs are going to hate that, though. Yeah, they like, probably like rehab assignments, they right? They love yeah. rehab assignments because yeah. they're able to say, hey, come down to, you know, if you're 
the Iron Pigs, right? You get to say, come on down. We're going to have Bryce Harper for a series while he rehabs before he goes up to the big club. Like they, they market that stuff actively when it happens. And that's hardly unique to Lehigh Valley. So I bet AAA clubs are like, but can we break the machines? Like um, (laughs) what if instead of them working, they were just all broken. And then you were like, I have to go. Uh, to to Lehigh Valley because um because the thing is all of the machines are broken not just some of them all of them they're all broken it's so weird that they would all be broken and the <laughs> one guy who can fix them he's on vacation so I guess you just gotta come through you know like they're gonna hate that stuff <laughs> yeah yeah although I guess they might be using them to train against uh, good pitching too and hopefully get to the big league suitor in theory but yeah I don't know if it's a perfect substitute because of course it's not a game situation. Right. And it's hard to replicate yes. the adrenaline. Now, I don't know if you're Bryce Harper and you've played in the World Series. Are you getting the same <laughs> adrenaline rush from playing for Lehigh Valley? I, I know, do. But. I do appreciate that he was like, look, I don't want to be a dick. And so yeah. I'm going to say, uh, it's nothing against the guys down there. They're good yeah. guys down there. That's, that's not. Why would you even think that that's what this is about? You know, um, right. I, I find that I find there to be a generosity of spirit there that's very yeah. appealing to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, those guys are good too. Those, yeah, yeah, like I, I, that's a nice, that's nice, you know? You don't mm-hmm. have to say it, but it's nice that you did say it. So it's mm-hmm. it's nice, but. Yeah, and I guess depending on the injury you're coming back from, maybe you'd want to test your body in ways that you can't in a batting yes, cage. I think if that you're John Carlos Stanton and you're coming back from a hamstring strain. That's what the pool maybe. is for. Yeah, that's what the pool is for. Of course, you can do away with the rehab assignments as long as you have the pool. But but you might want to just uh, move in a way that you don't if you're right. just swinging. But it is, it's interesting because uh, with pitchers, I mean, pitchers in theory, they could just throw off a mound or throw bullpen sessions right. and not do rehab assignments. But also then they're really not facing, you know, I don't know if there's a, a batting robot. That is quite the equivalent of this pitching Terrifying. robot machine. Yeah. Terrifying. So that's, uh, I guess, a little harder to engineer. So if you want to face real hitters uh, without endangering anyone, then, you know, <laughs> then you might have to go to the minor leagues you might and, have to go and to get the on a mound. Yep. Yeah. But I, I always enjoy a rehab assignment yeah. too, just because you get to see like guys facing other guys they don't normally face yes. and might never face otherwise. Right. And it's just like a mismatch of talent levels. I, I always want to do research on figuring out like what the, the aggregated stats of big leaguers yes. on minor league rehab assignments is. Oh, yeah. How much do they dominate? Do they dominate as much as you'd think they would? Or are they rusty and not at full strength? Right. And thus they don't dominate as much as you'd think they would. I want to know. And also sometimes, uh, as I think Emma Bachelary has documented, sometimes you get big leaguers in the minors with like very silly looking minor league promotions and journey. And, oh yeah! You know, it's like Star Wars night or whatever, and they're wearing some very silly looking uniform, and you never get to see that exactly in the big leagues. Although obviously we're getting advertising and all sorts of patches, but but not quite as as bush league perhaps as <laughs> some of the things that they wear on a minor league rehab assignment. So it's and then you also get the stories about like you know the big leaguer big leagued them, but in a good way, right? Like right. you know bought them a bunch of food, like bought a fancy spread, yeah, you know just like gave them a little preview of of what it's like to be yeah. in the big leagues like crash davis you know regaling his uh, his durham bulls teammates with stories of what it's like in the show yeah you know just giving them a 
little taste of that while they're down there. So that's nice too. Yeah. I think that that stuff is really nice. And like, you know, sometimes you'll hear they're like, they bought everybody headphones. I bet there are a lot of, at some point they're like, we have enough, we have so many headphones. Like it seems like headphones are popular, you know, like yeah, ni- Manfred giving people headphones. Yeah. Like yeah. nice, like, like Bluetooth ones, you know, like nice ones. But uh, at some point you're like, I just have all these headphones. Like, what do I even do with all of them? Yeah, I think it's it's a nice thing when they get to go down and like spend some time with those guys. And, and you know, like depending on the player at AAA, like it it's a it might not be all that long before the major leaguer who's rehabbing sees that AAA guy again in a in a major league context, right? Like in theory, some of those players are going to end up being Bryce Harper's teammates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, if everything kind of goes to plan. So I, I do think that there are nice stories to be had there. And it kind of, you know, like I, I get it. I get that you want to be, if you're, especially if the player whose rehab you're helping to manage is one who's both as good and as important to the Phillies as Bryce Harper is like, you want it to be methodical. You want it to accomplish everything it needs to in terms of getting him up to game shape. But you also want to make sure that like, you know, nothing, no other ailments begin to befall him. Right. Mm -hmm. But maybe this is a place where we don't need a, a, machine you know maybe like this can just be a thing where he like pops down to especially if you're you know a club where your triple a affiliate is pretty close you know we have alleys not that far so yeah and i guess uh even if you can compress more at bats within a small window than you could just playing one minor league game at a time you also have to be careful when you're coming back from injury not to over train and and just be in the cage all day because then you might hurt yourself because you're not built up to do that but it's an interesting application of that technology. And obviously, Phillies fans are in favor of Bryce Harper coming back as soon as possible. Yeah. One other note on a player I wanted to mention, Yandy Diaz, yeah. who we christened with the nickname Ground Beef, which has swept the nation. I can't believe it hasn't caught on. It's so I know. Um, it's so appealing. Like, <laughs> know. you know, you think yeah. about what are the foods that you want to look at the most and <laughs> – yeah. Uh, number one with a bullet is ground beef, you know? How has he not embraced this? Yeah, that's my question. (laughs) But the problem is, the tragedy is that even though this nickname was so apt, perfect, because of course he's a beef boy. He is a beef boy. He hits a lot of ground balls, hence ground beef. Mm -hmm. We might have to retire it though, because all of a sudden he doesn't hit ground balls anymore. Yeah. And this is what everyone's been waiting for with Yandy Diaz. Like imagine if he could just elevate with those biceps yeah. and how hard he hits the ball. Yeah. And he found a way to be pretty productive without doing that. I yes. mean, doing that a little more, but still not a lot. Right. Like last year, he had a 146 WRC plus. Yeah, he was very good. Very good. Yeah, but it, it came largely from walking a lot. I mean, again, walking is good, but he hit nine homers right. in 558 play appearances. And you look at that guy and you're like, how did he hit nine homers? Like, So imagine if he could hit more homers right. and still do the other good things that he did. Well, so now, so far, he has a 150 WRC+, plus, which is almost unchanged. So you might think, same Yandy Diaz, but no, I don't think it is no. because he's got four homers already yeah. in 67 plate appearances. He's slugging 500 despite batting 241. And his BABIP is like 100 points lower than it was last year. And yeah. still, his productivity has been basically the same. His expected weighted on base is like 100 points higher because he's crushing the ball and he's hitting the ball in the air 
all of a sudden. So last year among qualified hitters, he had the 17th highest ground ball to fly ball ratio this year among qualified hitters. He has the 16th lowest ground ball to fly ball ratio. It was 1.57 last year. It's 0.61 this year. So he's hitting many more flies than grounders. And again, with all batted ball stuff, you got to wait a while for these things to stabilize and, you know, standard small sample caveat applies here. But he's hitting many more balls in the air and hitting those balls hard. And Daniel Epstein just wrote about this at Baseball Prospectus and brought it to my attention. So just to imagine, like, watch out if Yandy Diaz now, in addition to doing the other things he did well, is actually using that strength to get the ball in the air and is no longer ground beef, then he could be truly, truly an offensive force. I keep thinking of additional ground, like beef related. um, Oh, you know, you know, one we haven't used uh, before, Ben, you know, one we haven't used before when it comes to beef, like if um, you had like a a beef boy pitcher, he could be beef chuck. Oh, yeah. Chuck's it. Um, The the Rays, as we are sitting here on uh, Tuesday, so these are through Monday's games. Lead the majors in home runs, Ben. Yeah. 37. You know, they have seven more than the second place Dodgers uh, and 11 more than uh, the third place Yankees, who famously Mm -hmm. have several beef boys of their own, you know? (laughs) Yes. A Mm -hmm. number of of beef boys. So I, I, look, we have talked about how we did not want to overreact to the Rays win streak and we don't want to overreact to the I'm I'm doing air quotes when I say slump that they find themselves in now <laughs> right. um slump they've lost <laughs> three whole games so Oof, clearly yeah trash but uh they they do lead the majors in home runs and WRC plus so I uh, I don't know, man. It we talked about it. Like it's it is interesting that they are they are doing some unrazy kind of baseball. Maybe yeah. they are being aided by a, a baseball that is a little more forgiving to home runs, as yeah, as the early analysis shows. But ground beef. Mm-hmm. Now we have to come up with a Yandy Diaz specific one. Yeah, could be Kobe beef now, right? Because, uh, I mean, Kobe Beef, just in terms of his quality, just, I don't know if that conveys... That's terrible, that Ben. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I don't want to be unkind, but I also yeah. want to be honest. <laughs> his you average know. launch angle has doubled. I'm trying to think of, uh, of what would convey beef that is now airborne. Airborne beef. Space beef. I'll work on it. That's we'll just, you know, we'll spaghetti okay. against the wall. That's not, yeah. it's not sticking. It's falling, mm-hmm. falling <laughs> right off that wall. You know, it yeah. just went, um, you know. I was going to bring up the, the ball, though, as you just did, because mm-hmm. Rob Arthur did his early season check-in at Baseball Prospectus. And what he found, it, it kind of mirrors what you can see by looking at the Baseball Savant day-by-day baseball drag readout, which is that the drag is reduced. Now, it's not 
peak juiced ball is back. It's just that we seem to be back to the 2020 to 2021 ball, which was fine. I, I'd even venture to say it was sort of a happy medium. And last year was maybe too dead. And 2017 and 2019 were too lively. And maybe this is sort of the Goldilocks zone for the baseball. But it, it's interesting that we're back there because uh, the ball was deadened on purpose and MLB said that it was going to be deadening the ball right. and it has not announced that it is uh, rewinding things back to 2020-21. So I wonder, again, whether this was an intentional change or, or what, but the offense that it has produced thus far is fairly robust relative to, well, certainly what we saw last year, yeah. but you know, we've got 4.66 runs per game thus far, which is about on par with 2020, below 2019. Again, it's April, so you would expect that to pick up later right. in the season, all else being equal. But I feel like this is uh, not a bad place for offense to be yeah. right now. You know, this is this feels like, all right, it's, it's not too much scoring. It's not... It's not uh, a deficit in scoring. It's not deficient. It feels like a decent amount of offense. And it also, I think, makes the decline in game time more impressive. Yeah. In, because uh, longer games, you would think, would result from more scoring. Right, right. And so the reduced game times that we've gotten this year has happened even though scoring is up. So that maybe makes the the savings even more extreme than it might look at first blush. But I'm, I'm kind of happy with with offense the way that it is now. And, and it's not just the ball. It's also, of course, the running game, which we have discussed sure. plenty. And perhaps it's the shift ban, but I don't really know how much that is actually contributing to it yet. Whatever it is, I feel like uh, this, is, this is sort of a sweet spot thus far. I'm worried, Ben, that the league is going to be so confident yeah. <laughs> after all of this that they will then do something really silly, um, having been met with success for their machinations so far. They're like, we know exactly what we're doing. And then, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, strikeouts are going to be florps or something. <laughs> well, yeah. The strikeouts, still lots of those, as yeah. we discussed, uh, even with the sticky stuff cracked down, at least when Domingo Herman is not pitching. <laughs> but, right. but Babip is uh, up to 299 now, which, uh, again, like, it was 300 in 2017, right? And and it was 298 in 2019. And then it dipped down over the past few years, maybe as the ball was deader, but also as uh, shifts and, and defenses got ever more sophisticated and, and prevalent. So again, like, I don't really know what the effect of that has been thus far. Is, yeah. uh, is Cody Bellinger having a better year because some balls uh, that would have got caught in the shift before or not now? I don't know. We really have to wait to see. But yes. I'm, I'm kind of pleased where where offense is sitting right now. It, it is funny, though, that you mentioned, like, is MLB going to get high on its own supply and, and overreach? We did get an announcement we about the, the new Atlantic League <laughs> yeah. rules. Just got a press release about that before we started recording. So not a lot of new experimental rules being tested in the minors this year because most of the ones that they were testing have now been implemented right. in MLB. So still testing the ABS system, robot umps at some level, and still testing the pie slice rule at one level and the pre-tacked ball at one level. And the pitch clock that they're using in the minors is uh, like a second or two more aggressive, less lenient than the one in the majors this right. year. But but nothing, you know, way out of the ordinary that 
that hasn't already been tested in previous seasons. So in the Atlantic League, though, which is still a, a partner league of MLB, this year they will be testing the double hook DH rule, which has been in place there before. So this is just the attempt to prolong starting pitcher outings by tying the DH to the starting pitcher. So you can use the DH throughout the game if the starting pitcher has completed at least five innings. So if the starter doesn't go through five, then you lose the DH for the rest of the game. And some people have been advocates of this. I'm not against it. But I don't think it will work, really. I just I don't think it will have any demonstrable, measurable effect because I just feel like the benefit to getting the starting pitcher out earlier is uh, I think it dwarfs the benefit to keeping the DH probably. I, I just I don't think it it really will do anything and it's kind of complicated. So I, I'm not against it, but I think if you really want starters to go deep into games, you need to restrict the number of pitchers on the active roster, which we've discussed. That's my chosen solution for that. But then they're also going to be testing one disengagement from the pitching rubber during an at bat instead of the two that we now have in MLB, which to me, look, I guess there's no harm in, in testing it, but I have no desire to go from two to one, seeing what we're seeing this year yeah. in majors, which is people just running rampant. I mean, it's it's fine. Like, I'm not necessarily against what we're seeing this year with the huge uptick in stolen bases and stolen base success rate and attempt rate. But seeing how dramatic that <laughs> the effect of that has been. I would not want to go to one disengagement right. because that'll be wacky. <laughs> that'll be like people running constantly, I think. Well, and I think that when we were discussing like the the relative appeal of some of the new rules, like one thing that we mentioned is that we're not trying to manage the game time number to zero, right? Like you want there to be baseball. And so I think that we should like sit in this reality for a while, first of all, to make sure that it persists, right? Because there is precedent for rule changes having an effect on game time and then that game time creeping back up again, right? We saw that in the minors in the first sort of round of testing around some of this stuff. And so we want to, like, we should like sit in it like a, Mm -hmm. like a warm, like a still warm bath. Pool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, a pool is better because like pools are heated. And so sometimes you like jump in yeah, and you're like, oh, cold. And then you sit there for a second. And you're like, oh, this is actually quite nice. You know, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, you have that kind of. Yeah, I, I'm not straining my hamstring anymore. That's a miracle. I really worry about you not stretching. <laughs> and I'm skeptical of your research, Ben. You know, this is got to elevate my this. sources on the show page. <laughs> I got to uh, escalate this question to actual doctors. But, <laughs> but Ben. I think we want to sit with it for a little bit and and see if the game times that we're seeing sort of stabilize and are persistent. And then we can ask the question, it, are we good? Like, is this good? Because right now, I think we're in this really lovely Goldilocks zone, if you will, where uh, the games feel zippy, they're moving, there's action, it isn't distracting, right? We're kind of getting into that phase of the implementation where the broadcasts are talking about the pitch clock less, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're just able to like enjoy the baseball moving at a good pace, but it doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel like, you know, you got a flight ticket. Like, what do we, why are you, you Mm -hmm. let me luxuriate in this a little bit. And so I don't 
feel as it is currently constituted a need to speed things along any more than we already have. And so I get, like, I think it's fine in the background for, you know, the league to test one disengagement and this and that and say, okay, if we get to a point where we feel like we maybe do want to trim a little bit more time or we do see game time starting to creep back up ever so slightly to have data ready for us to say, okay, well, if we went down to one disengagement, what would that theoretically do for game times. Like, I think that's fine. Like, test stuff, you know. We are lab league advocates over here, but just, you know, just test it. Because right now, I don't think we need to keep, we don't need to rush into any more change. We've had a lot of change. We feel very disrupted. You know, let's Mm -hmm. unpack the final box in the move before we start to contemplate our next move. You know, it's like when you're renting, you have to, you have to stay at least uh, as long again as it took you to get the art up on the wall. So it's like, that's always been <laughs> one of the rules that I've lived by. It's like, okay, if it takes you six months, well, you got to enjoy it for at least that long. Cause like you just t- spend all this time with a blank wall and now you have something up there. So sit and enjoy it for a second before you contemplate other stuff. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just <laughs> think everyone chill. Yeah. I think, look, if you want to implement things down the road, then you can test them even after you implement things in the major league level at another level so that if you want to make a further change a few years down the road, yeah, then you have the data. So so that's okay. I'm just saying the effect on the running game has been dramatic. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to have the number of engagements again, just uh, given what we've seen this year. I feel like the the stolen bases are in a pretty good place right now. It's a good spot. Like we just are very... It's very comfortable, you know? We're in like a good spot, so. I have a, I I did a little service journalism here because we got a question about the new rules pertaining to the running game that I couldn't answer. A few people have asked us this one. For instance, Sydney wrote in to say, say on the third pickoff attempt, the defense catches a runner on first in a rundown, but due to some sort of defensive lapse, that runner manages to make it back to first. Do they get to advance to second anyway oh. because it was the third pickoff attempt? Or is there something different about a rundown versus a regular pickoff? Sure. So what happens to pickles? What happens world? to pickles? Can you <laughs> put them anyone, back in the jar? Yeah. Won't anyone think of the pickles? So Please. if there's a third pickoff attempt where either you have to catch the guy right. or he gets to go to second, but in this case, there's a rundown, right? So like... Does that still count against the pitcher as the third pickoff attempt, or does it sort of reset because it's like the defense, uh, there were many throws going back and forth. Right. So I did not know the answer to this. I asked MLB the answer to this, and MLB spokesperson checked on it for me and gave me the answer, which is, if all runners safely return to their originally occupied bases, the result of a third or subsequent disengagement is a balk. A rundown occurring before the runner ultimately returns safely does not change the result. So in this example, the runner would be awarded second base at the conclusion of the play. So how silly and Benny Hill and Yakety Sacks-esque-ish would that be if you hmm. have this this pickoff attempt, there's a rundown. Let's say there's a, raw, a long rundown and pickle and it's back and forth and back and forth. And the runner finally somehow makes it back to first base, slides in safely there. Now they just get to 
get up, dust themselves off, and go to second base. So it's like there's no incentive to either try to make it to second or go back to first, because if you go back to first, you still ultimately get to go to second. I don't think this has happened yet, or at least I haven't seen it happen, but now I'm kind of hoping it happens because of how silly this would be, and also because I'd feel smart for knowing what the rule is. But imagine how weird this would be if you have a whole big rundown, you get back to first base, and it's like, well, I guess I get to go to second now after all of that. Huh. I don't know how I feel about that, Ben. I don't either. Yeah. I'm not sure if I I like this or not. Yeah. Or if I think that that like once once you get caught in a rundown, it like shouldn't count against the, the pitcher anymore. Cause he like he did his job. Right. I mean he he got you. Then it's like on the rest of the defense almost for right. it's not it's not the pitcher's fault for not, I guess the defense is always involved though, but wait, I want to make sure I understood the answer you got. So yeah. if if okay, there's a pickle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the third, it's the third disengagement and the, and, and you get tagged in the pickle. Oh, then you're out. Then yeah, you're, you're out. still out. Right. Yes. It's only if you make it back to the, the first, to first, to first yeah. that you're, you're, you're no longer you pickled. Then you to second you're because, yeah. Suddenly f- fresh. You're right. no <laughs> you're, longer. You're a cucumber again. Yeah, yeah. You've reverted to um, a cucumber. Okay. So I, I, I wanted to make sure that I understood that. So I mean, I guess it's not likely to be a problem, even if I think I don't like this because most guys get get got in a pickle, you know? Yes. Most, yeah. most base runners when pickled stay, they stay, <laughs> they stay pickled. Ben. Yeah, they're still, they're still briny. They're yeah. still briny. Yeah. They're still briny, but I want it to happen. I want yes. there to, well, one, because it's always fun when they manage to escape the brine, right? Um, yeah. When they have been let loose when the pickles are on the counter. Um, that's always fun. And also, I want to be in a ballpark where someone has to explain what the hell just happened. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that sounds, and like on the broadcasts, you know, yeah. I feel like we should, you y- you have done service journalism. I feel like we should send um a copy of this segment to every broadcast booth so that um, they can be prepared because it's bound to happen at least once this year, right? Yeah, you'd think. How many successful pickle escapes? (laughs) How many cucumbers do we have in a season generally? Do do we, I mean, I know that that has to be tracked. I'm sure that like Sports Info Solutions tracks that now. Probably. It's it's rare, which is it makes it fun and special when right. you can elude the rundown and get out of it. So in that sense, if you manage to elude it and get back to first, then you should be rewarded. I mean, right. you're rewarded because you're safe. You're but safe. also, in this case, you still get to advance to second anyway. So it, it opens things up for for the runner because there, there's no difference that they shouldn't have any added incentive to go to second as opposed to going back to first because either way, they get to second. So it's, you feel kind of bad for the pitcher because it's like, yeah. hey, you, you picked him off basically and then right. your defense let you down, seal the deal. Yeah, but but really like the pitcher is part of the defense and the infielders are part of the defense and if they fail too, then... I I, says, I suppose the failure should be distributed uh, the same way. 
It's a collective right. failure. Um, I have a semi-related question. Uh, it, it's Josh Harrison who was so good at, at yes. getting out of pickles, right? Do you think that he ever went by the nickname Cuke? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was no not, longer but... in a his is fresh like a cucumber. Yeah. Well, now that we cuke. have to forsake our ground beef nickname, I guess we can. Something try to really apply satisfying about cuke saying cuke to like, Josh Harrison feels like yeah. a. It's got good. Mouthfeel. I'm going to come up with an alternative for please do for yes. Yandi. Um, ground beef was so good. <laughs> I'm offended that other people didn't like it as much as we did. I mean, <laughs> there's no accounting for taste, Ben. But yeah, and and look, I I know that I play a volume game when it comes to wordplay. Like I I acknowledge my my place, right? I'm an innings eater. Um, yeah. But every now and again, I really throw cheddar, and I felt like I had it there. I thought I yeah. was like, that was, you know, that was like painted, and it was yeah. painted cheddar. And it was ground beef. And no I don't one. I know that it, anyone like outright rejected it. Like no one. It didn't catch condemned. on though, Ben. No, it didn't catch on. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how how big the market was. Don't for Yanti patronize me. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't know if the market, you know, rejected it exactly. So but, you're but, saying this is less about me than it is about yeah. Yandi Diaz. It's yeah, it's about you don't have to insult uh, Yandi on my behalf. I can accept that the people didn't yeah. take to it the way I thought they would. I forgot to read, by the way, the third experimental Atlantic League <laughs> rule, which is the the boldest, right? The the designated pinch runner. So each club will it's list Terrence a player Horrible. who is, yeah, who is not otherwise in the starting lineup as a designated pinch runner. Okay, that well. player may then be substituted at any point into the game as a base runner. The player who is substituted for, as well as the pinch runner, may then return to the game without penalty. This press release doesn't specify how many times you can do that. I assume you can only do it once in a game. Otherwise, it would just be out of control. But but even so, I don't like this. I think this there used to be something kind of akin to this in the majors called a courtesy runner, which was like if someone hurt themselves on the bases, you could temporarily replace them with another runner, someone else who was in the game or on the roster, and then the other guy could come back when he was over that injury and both players would not be burned. And they did that. I think 1949 was the last time there was a courtesy runner, and then that was banned. So this is kind of like that, except it's it's for a pinch runner. It's not just in case of injury. It's uh, to replace a slower runner with a, a better runner. I guess it's, again, another like base running action on the base paths kind of measure. But I I don't love it, you know, because uh, I I kind of like the the substitution rules in MLB largely, and when people would say like, oh, the DH, it's a slippery slope, and pretty soon you'll have DHs for everyone, and you'll have two different offensive and defensive units, and everything will be hyper specialized, and I always thought that was overblown because pitchers are just so worse at hitting than even like shortstops or catchers. It's not even close, and right. I don't. Generally, I, I like players uh, having to do more things and, and having to be all-purpose players and jacks-of-all-trades. So I don't think I would want this. I I see, the I guess, the, the idea, but I, I don't really like it, and I don't think we need it necessarily. There should be a, a cost to having a slow guy is that he's not very good at running. It's a slow guy tax. Um, yeah. I can't decide because part of me really loves it. And part of me thinks that it's an abomination. So, (laughs) 
it would yeah it would increase excitement at times you know if it's like a big moment when you have some slow guy in the bases but but again like it's not like you can't replace right, a you runner can already as it is. pinch yeah it's not yeah. like they invented pinch running right <laughs> pinch running we're pro pinch running it's yeah. just that there's there should a be cost a cost yeah yeah right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow they're really yeah. changing stuff ben yeah yeah so it's it's all about like would it make it more exciting and you you already can pitch run it's like philosophically i'm opposed <laughs> to the shift ban or the positioning restrictions but then again when i see it in action and, and i see you're someone, like yeah it's fine yeah like when i see a ground ball get through that probably would have been an out last year i'm not like mad that that wasn't an out like there's still part of me that's like eh, i don't like this i don't like that they're being restricted right. and where they can stand and yet when i actually see the results again i don't know that the results have been that dramatic but like when i do see a batted ball that gets through i'm not like would have been better if that was a routine out to the like guy playing in short right field or something so it's it's more of a philosophical thing than a inaction thing <laughs> i'm laughing um then because and I'm like, is it is it great or is it an abomination? And then I'm thinking about Alia from Dune, and now I want all rule changes delivered in the creepy voice of like the kid in the Lynch Dune being like, I have a message for him, <laughs> Instead of the mic'd up umpire. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like you out. need a designated <laughs> creepy kid <laughs> went out there being like, I have a message from the Play Center. Spies. <laughs> uh, I um I didn't feel silly when we sat down to record, but I worked up to it. I think. I'm glad it's because of it's because of cukes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So look, we called for injuries to cease the other day, and they did not. They which did is not. An outrage. Again, why does no one it. listen to us? Ground yeah. beef, no injuries. Yeah. So it's uh, you know Brandon Woodruff is is hurt now. Yeah. Chris Bubich is hurt now. It, it's it's not great. But perhaps Corbin Burns is hurt though yeah. a lot less seriously than Woodruff. It seems it like it seemed very alarming in the moment. I will tell you though, because I was watching that and I was like, really, we're doing we're doing this. Yeah. So that's not great not that great. some players have uh, continued to get hurt. However, we have also seen some prospects get called up, and, yes. and that's been fun. I guess most notably, Brett Beatty has arrived, yeah. perhaps belatedly, but Eduardo Escobar was not hitting. Brett no. Beatty was raking in AAA, and now he's up with the Mets. Right. And uh, the Rockies called up Nolan Jones and then sent him down again almost immediately <laughs> without ever having him get into a game, which is, which is very very Rockies-esque. I mean, what I know he is was, the plan? <laughs> I don't know. There isn't one. He was, uh, he's called up, I think, because Marquez got hurt and yes. there was a spot and then they needed a pitcher. And so they sent him down again. But it also was very Rockies. But so Rockies. The most aggressive and like uh, Mason Miller's coming up with yeah. the A's and Levi Stout's coming up with the Reds. Uh, you know, lots of prospects debuting. But I think the most notable was Zach Neto yeah. coming up with the Angels and David Fletcher just being optioned and outrighted. Yes. You know, established big leaguer David yeah. Fletcher extended big leaguer David yeah, Fletcher. Yeah, rec recently. Recent-ish. Yeah, down, down to the minors. And Zach Neto, the first player from last year's draft class to debut and 
usually it's like some hard-throwing closer, like some major league-ready reliever college yeah. closer who comes up and, and maybe is the first to debut. Zach Nato's a, a shortstop. But the Angels are aggressive, and we talked about this on our Angels preview pod, yeah. the possibility of Neto coming up and the fact that Perimanesian seems to be very aggressive when it comes to promoting prospects, and he did it again here. So again, like not a lot of seasoning. Neto was hitting really well in the minors. You know, he's uh, he's not set the world on fire in his few few games in the majors, but like he's a good defensive shortstop. Yes. Uh, the Angels didn't necessarily have one of those, so he doesn't have to hit that well to justify his presence there. But in theory, at least, I like it. Like, it's aggressive. He hadn't even played in AAA and, again, was drafted just last season. But I I like that they're going for it because, again, like, it's probably the last year with Otani. They just they need to stop being so angelsy. They need to win while they still have Trout and Otani. So if you actually think that Neto is your best player at that position, which is an open question, but if you think that he is, then... Go for it. So we'll find out whether that's true. But if that was their evaluation, yeah. and I assume it was, or they wouldn't have called him up just for fun. <laughs> but if that was their evaluation, then I applaud them for for going for it. Yeah, I think that it's exciting to see them try to do it, right? I don't know if it'll work, but... No, me neither. <laughs> I mean, the Angels. It may very well not. It may but. very well not, but it might. Like, he is a well-regarded prospect, so um, yep. it's not like... He's like some scrub, like, you know, he, I think he was a consensus top 100 guy. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, we've seen some extensions for, for big league pitchers. We saw an extension for uh, Logan Webb, which was yeah. uh, very much appreciated by Giants fans. Uh, five years, 90 million. And then we saw the Twins extended Pablo Lopez. And that one was, I think, for four years, 73 and a half million. And Lopez is off to a great start. I love when there's like a, a challenge trade or, or like a one yeah. for one. And then both guys are good. Yeah. That's always fun. It's very so exciting. Pablo Lopez is off to a great start in Minnesota. Luisa Rice obviously is off to a great start yeah. in Miami. I don't think he's hitting 500 anymore. He's like down to 455 or something. Scandal. <laughs> Slumped. Scandal. But Nice to see both of those guys hitting. And that also made me think, just because Paulo Lopez, like Zach Callen, who's also off to a great start, and Sandy Alcantara, who had a great start and then a couple not-so-hot starts after I was raving about him the other day. But, but those three guys, I mean, Lopez and Gallen, I think, are in the top 10 among major league pitchers in Fangraph's war. Alcantara, even after a couple of rough starts, is like 35th, I think, and obviously is the reigning Cy Young Award winner. And all of those guys were Marwin's tradees within a span of a few months, yeah. which amazes me. I mean, there was the May 2017 trade when the Marlins got Pablo Lopez uh, for David Phelps, basically, and there were a few other throw-ins on either end of that deal. And then, of course, the famous uh, getting Gallen and Sandy Alcantara and Daniel Castano and Magnus Sierra for Marcelo Zuna in December 2017. And obviously, the Marlins then traded Gallen for Jazz Chisholm, and that's a fun trade. That's very much in the genre of want both of those guys to do well, want both sides to to win that one and be happy with that trade. But the fact that the Marlins got, within a span of several months, Gallen and Alcantara and Lopez for not a lot, right? Yeah. 
And then, by the way, Jesus Lazardo is like a top five pitcher in Fangraphs war this yeah, year too. He's he's really taking a step forward. Seemingly, it's quite yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, and and he was good last year too, yep. but perhaps even better now. So the fact that they've done such a great job of acquiring pitchers specifically, and they're still not a good team, <laughs> which. <laughs> I'm sorry, the way you said that was so perfect. And they're still not a good team. <laughs> they're they're nine and eight as we speak, but yeah. I, I I think they're like five and zero oh in one run games. Yes, or and something, then they're getting so. blown out in every yeah else. yeah it's, yeah. And, it's a a highly skewed uh, yeah <laughs> situation and over there. Yeah, despite Luis Arise's best efforts, right. they're still not a good offensive team. They're like. <laughs> 24th in not a good team (laughs) 24th in wrc plus and uh (laughs) i think they're they're second to last in just run scored so they remade their offense to be less strikeout prone but they forgot to like actually get good hitters too i mean they are (laughs) they're they're still they're still striking out a fair amount too they're they're like ninth in strikeouts too or tied for eighth or something so Again, like they're not good, but also like they they should have been good. That just getting <laughs> getting <laughs> I'm frustrated. I with the know. Words. I you're but, all worked up. Like if you get Gallon and Alcantara and Lopez and Luzardo, you should be good. And yeah, like yeah. that's that's a great rotation right there. Basically, yeah. For, forget about the other good pitchers that they've had too. But but they made all those trades and got all those guys without giving up a lot at all. Yeah. And yet they are still and the Marlins. They remain the Marlins. So that's a disappointment. They are the Marlins. They are the Marlins. They cannot <sighs> help but be. The Marlins. It is a really funny. It's just a. It's just a funny club. You know, you look at them, and you go, "What's yep. going on over here?" So we gotta finish with a meet a major leaguer and a pass blast. But one last thing before we do that, just the defining issue of our times, Anthony Bass. We've got to talk about Anthony Bass <laughs> now. I know you've been on Twitter less yes. lately. So I don't know. Can't if you, you were... hear how happy I sound? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you were partaking in I the did Anthony see this, yeah. Bass is, Anthony Bass became Twitter's main character yeah. basically for a day, which was highly unexpected. Yeah, it sure Anthony was. Anthony Bass yep. <laughs> would be that person. So Anthony Bass, who is best known if he is known, I mean, look, he's uh, he's had himself a career. He's a 35-year-old Guy who's been in the big leagues for 12 years. Yeah. How about that? And How about he's, that? He's with the Blue Jays, and uh, he had a nice season last yeah. year, a really nice season for the Marlins and the Blue Jays. He's off to a rough start with the Blue Jays this year, but off to an even rougher start, yeah. I suppose, on social media. So here's the thing. I mean, it's always, I think, fraught to tweet about airline stuff. Yeah. You know, pe- people can't help tweeting about airline stuff. And on the one hand, I guess it's relatable because everyone has had airline issues and, and air travel issues. Yeah, and some and of so them have everyone's been ex- like, exacerbated yeah, been there. late, yeah. <laughs> right. But also, it's, you know, it's kind of hackneyed. It's it's yes. very much like a what's the deal with airplane food sort of routine. And and also sometimes it, it smacks of privilege and yep. it's, a, it's a way of, you know, getting – 
attention at times in in the sense of like if you're someone who has some clout if you have some followers if you were verified when it meant something to be verified right then you could get the attention of some customer service right by complaining about some product and right. you know i guess it's just uh, do what you have to do to get attention also but sometimes uh, it's just like you know just just suffer in silence like everyone else <laughs> right <laughs> but but Anthony Bass just uh, triggered the rage and and I guess, you know, there was sentiment on both sides here, sure. but he tweeted over the weekend, the flight attendant at United just made my 22-week pregnant wife traveling with a five-year-old and two-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess by my youngest daughter. Are you kidding me? And then two intro bangs, so just question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. And the thing about this was that he tweeted with this a photo yeah. of his two kids and of their popcorn mess yes. just uh, on the seat, next to the seat, in the aisle. Yes. And the kids uh, have their headphones on and they're playing with tablets or whatever. And yes. there's this uh, popcorn mess beneath them. Yes. And I think some people assumed, as I did the first time I saw this, that Anthony Bass was present, that he was taking this photo and when I read this the first time, I was like, Anthony Bass, like, wh why are you making your 22-week pregnant wife traveling with your kids w crawl on her hands and knees to clean up the popcorn mess while you are just uh, taking a picture and tweeting about it? That's what I thought at first. But of course, he was not there. He was not he there, was, right. No, he's with the Blue Jays. And uh, so uh, I assumed that his wife was uh, traveling with the kids alone. And sent Anthony Bass a picture, I suppose, and then he posted it because he was outraged on behalf of his wife. So some people were like, why don't you clean up the popcorn? Why are you making your wife clean up the popcorn? I would like to think that Anthony Bass uh, would have done that if he had been there. But he was with the Blue Jays and, you know, Blue Jays uh, fly charter, I'm sure. Anyway, so... We could rule out that reason to be mad at Anthony Bass. But this became a, a whole backlash to the parenting on display here because uh, everyone pointed out, you know, if if your kids are going to be making a mess, well, it's it's on you, right? It's on the parents. I can't believe you're making me wade into these two discourses. Yes, I can't very believe. Very dangerous waters here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, he, he doubled down. He he stuck to his guns here as this saga went on, as hundreds or thousands of, of replies flooded in, people uh, condemning him or asking questions. You know, someone said, generally, genuinely curious who should clean up the mess your two-year-old made. As a parent of three kids, I'm the one responsible for them. Anthony Bass tweeted, the cleaning crew they hire. Then, you know, some people were saying, just be a decent human. And if your kids are going to make a mess, clean up the mess. And he quote tweeted and said, you are the perfect parent. You can do no wrong. Then I guess some people were were questioning why his wife was flying at all if she's pregnant. And then he specified <laughs> she she's permitted to fly for a few more weeks, according to her doctor. But that's not the point. <laughs> and then he clarified that United provided the popcorn, not his wife. So it, it's like, uh, it's not a you break it, you buy it. Like you bring the popcorn, you clean up the pot. It's like if, if, if United this like provided. A, this is like a you smells it, you dealt it kind of. Yeah. <laughs> United provided the popcorn. So you're suggesting that they're liable for any messes created involving said <laughs> <Liable>. popcorn. <laughs> oh, then boy. it ended when he said, thank you everyone for the support. 
United Airlines, which responded to him on Twitter to like ask for the flight details, is taking care of matters with the flight attendant what? internally, which sounded ominous. So, you know, I mean, that makes you think that the flight attendant is, is getting disciplined yeah. or fired or something. Who knows, right? I mean, for all we know, this was just for show and they were just like, yeah, well, we're going to talk to the flight attendant. Don't worry, Anthony. And they didn't. For all we know, the flight attendant got promoted. Who knows? <laughs> but... <laughs> Taking care of matters could mean anything. And then Anthony Bass, I guess, uh, finally finished sometime after this by tweeting a picture of his cute kid holding up a a big bag of popcorn uh, with a popcorn emoji, as if to say, maybe like, leave me alone. Here's my cute kid with popcorn. (laughs) But I don't think this went the way that he He, thought it would. Yeah. But John Boyce tweeted that like this was this was almost a heartwarming throwback to like old Twitter, like 10 year old Twitter where, you know, people would just get very up in arms about some like moral quandary related to air travel. And then everyone would pile on this main character. And it's so inconsequential. It's almost like a nice break from the things that people are usually raging about on social media. Like we can all come together and debate the ethics of cleaning up the popcorn on the flight. But just who imagined Anthony Bass? just seizing the spotlight of Twitter it just with this this popcorn quandary. So where do you stand on this uh, defining debate of our times? I know. Dangerous, dangerous waters. Um, I, I don't know, man. I feel like it's a very complicated situation. It is a little more complicated than... Sure, because... Like, nothing's black and white, including popcorn and Anthony Bass's wife and the flight attendant. But... I, like I, to me, I I think part of it comes down to the specifics of the situation, like things that we don't know. Right? Like, but, what was the interaction between? Right. That's what I want to know. Yeah, her and the flight attendant, because I just I do struggle to imagine a flight attendant coming up to someone and saying, "Hey, clean up your kid's mess." Right, right. And like, did the flight attendant know that she was pregnant? I mean, it's 22 weeks. So, you know, de- depending on what ah! you're <laughs> depending on what you're wearing, you know, you might not even know that the person is, is pregnant then. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, also if they were like, I order you to, to clean up this mess. Yeah, I just can't imagine. Or was it like, was the wife be, the imperious one and being like, oh, you must clean up this mess. And then the flight attendant was like, you clean it. Like a yeah. lot of it is is the tone and like yeah. who was ordering whom around. Right. You know? I, feel, I feel like we just have, um, we are missing critical pieces of this story that make it hard for me to to really say because like, in my experience on flights, you know, they, they come out to do the food and beverage service and any number of things might happen after that. You know, people <laughs> leave stuff on the ground, people like stick their trash in the little pockets and then they forget to take it out to give to the flight attendants when they come back through to like, you know, hold the bag or whatever. And so I I um I really don't understand like what the the sequence was that got all of yeah. us in this weird situation. I mean, like generally, I uh, like on the one hand, I think that there are times when folks they'll wield whatever small power they have, and sometimes they do that in a way that isn't 
considerate to the people around them. And, you know, sometimes those people work for airlines. Like, that's not unprecedented, right? Sure. And I can imagine being, um, even though this isn't, like, my experience, like, I can imagine being, like, a, a harried mom traveling yeah. with two small kids by myself, and I'm also pregnant, and I probably am uncomfortable because everyone is uncomfortable flying. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, it's just, like, not a very pleasant experience, and you're trying to, like, keep these kids quiet and entertained so that they don't bother the people around them. And like, that was the, that's the other thing. Like, did someone complain right. about yeah. the popcorn? Yeah. It's it, not like it, a safety hazard. Right. And so like, <laughs> and, and like, again, I, I agree with the sentiment that like you should, if you're traveling with your kids, like what your kids do is, especially if they're that age is like, you know, it's kind of your responsibility totally. yeah. to sort out. Um, yeah. As and the parent of a toddler, like they will make a mess almost inevitably yes. when you give them, I mean, like popcorn, you know, there are certain foods that they might not make a mess, but right. you give them popcorn they're gonna make regardless a mess. of who provided it, some of it's going to end up on the floor. <laughs> so And so, right. But also, and so like you should, you know, you have to manage that mess i would hope that a, that the people around um do we know anthony bass's wife's name i keep calling her anthony bass's wife but she has a name <laughs> yes right i will try to find out anyway Sid I would, sydney apparently sydney okay so yeah. like i would also hope that the people around sydney on this flight would be like you know, operating from a place of generosity toward her. Yeah. Like, hey, you're a mom tr seemingly traveling by yourself with two little kids. Whether or not anyone knew she was pregnant, like, that's a lot to have to manage on your own. And so, like, I don't understand. Does someone complain? And right. and of all the things, on the one hand, like, mess is mess. And someone does have to clean it up. And I don't want to, like, pass on my mess unnecessarily. Yeah. When and it's, it's probably not the flight attendant's job to, I mean, they come around and they right. take the garbage, right? But it, cleaning up litter, like, there is a, a crew. cleaning crew that, that comes in, but, right? And, you yeah, know, but like when you be buy, courteous to them also. Sure, <laughs> yeah. When you buy a, a, a plane ticket, you know, the terms of service are not and throw your stuff all over the place. And <laughs> right, someone else, yeah. like, just because it is someone else's job, to clean and prepare the cabin for the next flight doesn't mean that you should like be a dick. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, there are all of these conflicting things where you would hope someone would be like kind of generous and, and forgiving, but also you don't want to be, um, inconsiderate of like the, the crew or like the cleaning staff. Um, so like, that's all of a thing. Also on the one hand, it's, it is a mess, but also like, it's not a smelly or sticky mess, you right. know? So like there are worse messes. It's just a, it is a weird, we're missing, we're missing like a reel of film, you know? Yes, and right. I feel like whatever is on that reel of film would mm -hmm. really make obvious like how we should feel about this. But in the meantime, I am yeah. going, why do you make me talk about this? <laughs> right. Now, here's a, a little more information. Now, again, we're not getting the flight attendant's side You're of the story holding out here. on me. <laughs> but apparently, Sydney's older sister, who is country music singer Jesse James Decker, took to her Instagram stories on Sunday. Oh, boy. And James Decker, who's the wife of former NFL wild receiver Eric Decker. So this is a, an athletic family, it sounds like. So oh, Jesse yeah. James Decker also condemned United Airlines, saying that the staffer humiliated Sydney. Here's the quote. 
Blair accidentally spilled some popcorn in the aisle, and the flight attendant came up to Sydney with a trash bag and a wet wipe, telling her the captain wants Sid to clean up every drop. What? All right. My poor sister is on her hands and knees, crying in the aisle, completely humiliated and exhausted with her children while everyone else watched. Now, again, we're only getting one side of the story here. But if if that's actually what happened, I mean. Right. If that is what happened, that yeah. is that is crummy. But yeah. that doesn't sound real to me. I, I, I mean, the, the captain wants yeah, like, to know. I know. Well, that sounds, that makes it sound like a flight attendant on a power trip, right? Right. And, and right. This is, this is what I'm saying. Like there are times when people like, you know, my general rule of thumb is like, you just like, you don't want to make life harder for working people. Right. Like, but there are times when there are power trips to be had and exercised and they are in a way that is like really unpleasant and that's not great. But that story doesn't sound real. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds I mean, maybe extreme. It's, Look, it if that's what like happened, then, you know, I'd probably be upset if I were in the Yes, I would too. be, I mean, I that sounds, too, yes. Yeah. So, again, uh, you know, I guess this is always the danger of uh, debating and discussing things on Twitter. <laughs> Everything right. gets kind of flattened and you're either a hero or you're an enemy. Right. It's, there are probably shades of gray to the Anthony Bass airplane <laughs> popcorn saga. So, I don't know. I don't know that I can outright condemn the man just uh like are there parents who are very entitled and are yes. just like my kids are gonna go around making a mess and oh, it's yeah. everyone else's problem yeah absolutely there yes. are and in general if your kids make a mess then you should clean up that mess yes. and not expect others to do that yes but also if it's not like a high priority <laughs> situation here right. and you have a, a mother who's pregnant and on her own with two kids and it's a few pieces of popcorn. Yeah. Like I don't who, know that that doesn't <laughs> yeah, matter. So who cares? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, you want to, you want to like, um, yeah, like uh, parents, you know, you should mind your children and like non parents, you know, like have some, generosity toward the fact that like little kids are often a lot to wrangle and like if everybody's doing that then we can all coexist in the tube that stays up in the air yeah takes a village to pick up the popcorn i guess is the lesson here nobody offered to help her if this yeah that's right like unless you know if if there's like some other obnoxious behavior going on that would make people less inclined to help that that would be one thing but but it, it is odd that no one's like, can I give you a hand here? So I don't know. We, we need more information. We need – how is this not on YouTube or something? If This, this was like, is my come on. question. We have I... all sorts of like people freaking out about uh, wearing a mask or whatever and then it goes viral. Like can we get the popcorn moment please yeah. so that we can all just come to informed conclusions? I think that the really important takeaway from this segment is that I am right about the potentially corrosive <laughs> That's the real yes. takeaway. I'm not saying yeah. it can't go on there. I'm not saying it can't be fun sometimes. I'm not saying it doesn't have its merits occasionally. But also, mm-hmm. sometimes it's nice to not be on there for a little bit. You know, just like uh, find the level that works for you. And if it's less than what you're doing now, you won't actually miss anything. Yep. All right. Well, Blue Jays fans probably just hope that Anthony Bass will stop making such a mess in the Blue Jays bullpen. That's probably all they care about. Wasn't for his now, ERA but... trending for a little while? That's when <laughs> yeah. you know that things have gone really off the rails from where you expected yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So let's uh, finish with a meet a major leaguer here. Meet a major leaguer. I am very eager to meet this nascent major leaguer. It's the thrilling debut of somebody new. Let's meet this mysterious major leaguer. So thus far this year, I think we have uh, met 38 new major leaguers. And some of them are, of course, top prospects whom we have discussed, but some of them are more obscure. And that's the purpose of our Meet a Major Leaguer segment. Yes. To shine a light on some players you might not even have known that they are major leaguers. And look at that. They achieved their dream and they reached the pinnacle. And whether they last a long time or perform well while they're there, that's still something to be celebrated. So we should know their names. Yes. And there have been some good names. You know, there's the, the Nationals Thaddeus Ward who is the first Thaddeus in Major League history, or at least the first to go by Thaddeus. There were a couple of yeah, there were a couple of Thaddeuses or or Thaddei who went by Ted, but he is the first to to proudly embrace the Thaddeus. And then there was Cleveland's Peyton Battenfield who, as Terrific. Emma Bacheleri noted, it's a, a real crime that a guy named Battenfield is not a position player because he doesn't bat. And Emma said, you know, he doesn't really field either, but pitchers field, you know, we can give him credit for yeah. fielding. They don't get as many fielding opportunities. Right. It would be nice if he were a non-pitcher. I wish we could body swap James Outman and Peyton Battenfield. Oh, like, yeah. Battenfield should be a hitter. Outman should be a pitcher. It would just make so you much just more sense. just name swap them. That seems less complicated yeah, than body swapping. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, we already had Josh Outman. And if anything, yes. probably a, an underreported story that there was a pitcher named Josh Outman. That just that should have been I a bigger deal. I did my best, Ben. Yeah. But you know what? No one wanted ground beef either. So... <laughs> No, I mean, we still have uh, Josh Outman is, uh, yeah, he's been gone for a while. And, you know, he was maybe just not successful enough really to own the name. You know, he didn't get enough outs, I guess. And James Outman, he doesn't seem to make that many outs, it looks like. Anyway, those are fun names, but I don't think they can compare to the two players in tandem that we have decided to highlight today because there are new major leaguers Named Hogan Harris and Hobie Harris. Hobie. Hobie and Hogan Harris, no relation. No relation. Are now big leaguers. Yes, they are. Hobie. I mean, when I saw Hobie Harris, I had heard of Hobie Harris because uh, you selected him in the minor league Twice. Free, uh, free agent draft. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. He was your fourth round pick this year. So, yeah. so you're racking up batter's faced. But uh, Brent Honeywell's really where I'm, yeah. I'm oh, yeah. making my money so far. But. Yeah, but what I mean, I saw that Hobie Harris made the majors, and I was like, all right, good job, Hobie. Then I saw Hogan Harris, and I was like, wait, I did a double take. Wait, does that say Hobie? Is this a different guy? Hobie Harris and Hogan Harris? Yeah, they're both big leaguers. So you are introducing us to Hobie Harris, and I will introduce us to Hogan Harris. So tell us about Hobie, Hobie. who is uh, also another national like uh, Thaddeus Ward. Yes. Um, our our collective strategy of drafting nationals, I think, is going to serve us yeah. well in the minor league free agent draft. So Hobie uh, grew up in Texas, and he originally went to Paris Junior College. He played the outfield and pitched growing up and, again, at the JUCO level, but began 
focusing solely on pitching as a sophomore. Um, and after his sophomore season, he transferred to the University of Pittsburgh and was a 31st round pick by the Yankees in the 2015 draft. Um, and he kind of, you know, worked his way through the Yankees minor league system for a bit. And then in 2019 was taken in the minor league phase of the rule five by the Blue Jays. Famously a great time to be a minor leaguer. He obviously didn't pitch, at least in a competitive setting, during 2020. Um, but then in 2021, he appeared in 42 games for AAA Buffalo, throwing 43 and two-thirds innings and notching a 3.92 ERA and a 5.06 FIP. He elected minor league free agency after that season when I famously took him in the minor league free agent draft and signed with Milwaukee. But he spent all of last year at AAA Nashville. Sorry, uh, everyone. Thanks, Brewers. He made 53 appearances, posting a 204 ERA and a 421 FIP with 56 strikeouts, and then signed a minor league uh, deal with the Nationals this offseason, at which point I was like ready to be hurt again. Um, yeah. But this time it worked out for me. So Jessica Camatero wrote a piece on Hobie's potential debut during spring training, noting, and here I am quoting here, Harris arrived at spring training with a renewed outlook from lessons learned last season. He had found that he was putting pressure on himself and thinking about potential roster decisions in AAA. While that didn't impact his performance, he found that, quote, mentally and emotionally, it was a little difficult to handle. He shifted his focus to take the game one day at a time. There was a stretch a couple of weeks there where it got a little more difficult to go to the field because I was trying to think, what else do I need to do, Harris said. And I was thinking that too because I was confident he was going to debut, and I was wrong. But being able to put it back into perspective and with the help of my wife, she kind of got me back on track and said, control what you can control. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Just take care of your stuff. And we ended the season on a good note. And he had a good spring. He had a .90 ERA during spring training and made the Nationals opening day roster. He debuted on April 1st, striking out Marcelo Zuna, who was his first major league batter faced. He threw a scoreless inning in his debut. He has since made four more appearances. And on the season, he has a 3-0 ERA, a 4-1-6 FIP with three walks, two strikeouts, two earned runs, and for my purposes, 23 total batters face across six innings. His fastball averages at 94.7 miles per hour, and he also throws a cutter and a splitter per stat cast, although there is some disagreement on his pitch classifications among the various services. But most importantly, Jessica's piece also addresses the name, Ben, the name. Here mm -hmm. I am quoting. Yeah. The name Hobie comes from a sailboat, Harris said. The yeah. Hobie Cat Company manufactures sailboats, kayaks, stand-up paddleboards, surfboards, and more. Harris's family had a boat when he was a child in Texas, and they sailed when Harris was younger until baseball eventually took up their time. My dad and my grandfather grew up sailing, Harris said. My real name's actually Robert. Hobie is so much better. So I am named <laughs> yeah. after my dad. Being the firstborn, my dad was torn between the name Hobie and then giving me his namesake. I really never, I've never really gone by Robert. I've gone by Hobie my entire life. For the record, it's pronounced Hobie. It's mispronounced all the time, Harris said with a laugh. The biggest miss I get is hobby. I honestly huh. get that about 90% of the time. So that, really? ladies and gentlemen, is Hobie Harris. And I hope all the hobbyists out there realize how much more fun Hobie is to say yeah. and start saying Hobie, Hobie, huh. Hobie. Hobby, interesting. I, yeah. I wouldn't have even thought there's right. a, a Star Wars character whose nickname is Hobby, but that's with two Bs. Two Bs. Right? One, one B. Right. I wouldn't think that you would get that wrong. You would, interesting. You would not yeah. think that people would be confused by that, but, you know, people, they make mistakes. Yeah. The thing is, there had been only one major leaguer named Hobie, Hobie. before 
Hobie Harris, and that's Hobie Landreth, who was a, a catcher in the 50s and 60s. And here's the thing. Sadly, Hobie Landreth died this month. Oh. Now, he lived to be 93 years old. I'm surprised we never had him on the podcast. But he died on April 6th, just a few days after Hobie Harris debuted wow. on April 1st. So it's like it's like uh, Hobie's like Highlander. There can be only one. Only it's one like Hobie. When, when Hobie Harris checked in, Hobie Landreth had to check out. Wow. And I don't know how Hobie Landreth died or, or whether there was an illness or anything. I'd like to think that he knew that he was informed that there was a new Hobie and that that, that brought some enjoyment to his last days, that he was glad that someone had picked up his mantle and carried on his Hobie legacy in the big leagues. I, I cannot confirm whether he knew or not about Hobie Harris, but Hobie Landreth, he was an actual Hobart. Mm. Hobart nail Landreth, whereas Hobie is a, a Robert, as Robert, you said. So he's, yeah. he's sort of a pretender. I mean, it's not his actual name, but he has embraced it and he's gone by it. So he owns it. You know, I think he's he's not just an honorary Hobie. He's he's a legitimate he, Hobie. He's gone by Hobie his whole life, as he noted. Yeah. So, you mm -hmm. know, and he was, you know, almost named after a boat. And I think yeah. I think that his dad made the right choice because I, I can't imagine a time when if I were named Hobie, I wouldn't want to be Hobie. You yeah. know, like I kind of want to get a new cat just so that I can name it Hobie. Yes, yeah, Hobie, sure. great name. But there might come a time when like there's something serious going on, like he has to go to court or a funeral, and then he might want to be Robert, and he might be grateful that, you know, he's not legally Hobie. He's just spiritually Hobie, you know? Well, I think he, he should change his name. In honor of the late Hobie Landreth, he should officially embrace Hobie. Hobie. Just change it legally. So, Hogan, not quite as fun. No. Um, Certainly a Hogan-Harris debuting the same month as Hobie-Harris is wonderful. Yes. But in isolation, Hogan-Harris is not quite as fun, and neither was his debut, unfortunately. So things did not go quite so well for Hogan-Harris. Now, Hogan-Harris is an Oakland A. Probably not a coincidence that we're talking about a national and an A here. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of nationals and A's yeah. making the majors for the first time this season. So. Hogan Harris, he's a few years younger than Hobie. He's uh, 26. He's from Lafayette, Louisiana. He was a raging Cajun. Raging. He is uh, a lefty, and he's 6'3", 230, and he's been in the A's organization his whole career. He was drafted by the A's in the third round in 2018, and he's been working his way up ever since. He has not fared well in AAA. He's, uh, he's been a, a starter in the minors mostly, and he worked in relief in his first appearance for the A's. He has like a six-plus ERA and 10 starts for AAA, although he performed much better at the lower levels. But he's uh, had some injuries. He had Tommy John surgery, so he has recovered from that. But he missed, well, everyone missed 2020, and then he missed all of uh, almost all of 2021 as well. So last year was really his first year back from injury. And... He is a prospect and, you know, Baseball America had him 14th in the A's system this year, but delayed by the elbow injuries and oblique injuries. And their scouting report was that he has swing and miss stuff, 
but that he's walked more than four batters per nine as a professional. His fastball was a touch firmer a year removed from surgery, averaging 93, touching 97. He runs into trouble when he tries to overthrow his four-seamer. His upper 70s changeup is quite good and his best swing and miss secondary. He also throws a slow arcing curveball that has roughly 20 miles per hour separation from his fastball and maybe more of a strike stealer than a swing and miss offering. At the end of the season, he added an upper 80s slider slash cutter hybrid into his repertoire, which the A's believe will be the key to Harris turning over more advanced lineups. His delivery is still a bit rigid and he struggles at times staying on line to the plate. He has fringe average command potential that is mitigated by the quality of his stuff. So he was called up. He made his debut on April 14th against the Mets. That was Friday. And it went not well. It went uh, historically poorly. In fact, I'm sorry to say for Hogan Harris. So he was not really scheduled to pitch that day. It was uh, kind of an emergency situation. So he was called up because uh, they had a road trip and it taxed their pitching staff. So they called up Hogan Harris just as a, in case of emergency, break glass long reliever for the series opener against the Mets. And as it happened, he was warming up in the second inning because things didn't go well for the A's. And then they had to bring him in for his MLB debut in the fifth inning. And they hoped that he would give them a little length. And he did not. And manager Mark Kotze said, I look at that move right now and I assess myself for putting that kid in that situation. But really, we had limited options in what we could do with how thin the bullpen is. And here's how it went. So he got the first batter he faced out. He got Daniel Vogelbach to ground out. That was good, but that was the only out that he got. So Oakland was down six to three. After he got Vogelbach to ground out, he issued three walks in a row. He hit Brandon Nimmo with a fastball to drive in a run. Then he walked Starling Marte. And then Francisco Lindor doubled to clear the bases. Then he walked Pete Alonso, and that was when Katze pulled him. And Chad Smith came in and got out of the inning, although there was yet another run charged to Harris. So that is six earned runs and five walks in a third of an inning, which gives him a 162 ERA. He is, according to Stats Perform, the only pitcher to allow at least five walks and runs in less than an inning during his MLB debut since 1944. And that pitcher in 1944 was Joe Nuxhall, who famously was uh, extremely young. He was 15 years old when he did that. So that was maybe more understandable. That was during the war years, of course. So things went really, really badly for poor Hogan Harris. And he was optioned after that debut, sent down on Saturday and uh, replaced, I believe, by the immortal Richard Lovelady. But... Hogan Harris, uh, just just a really rough, rough outing. And uh, I think there had been only one pitcher maybe who had a, a higher ERA than that after his MLB debut, I guess barring guys who had infinite ERAs, but among guys <laughs> who actually got an out oh, no. and, and had some defined ERA, I think Joe Cleary... In 1945, he gave up seven earned runs in a third of an innings pitch, but but Hogan Harris joined a, a group of several other guys who gave up six in a third of an inning pitch. So, rough start, not nearly as smooth a debut as Hobie Harris, but Hobie. Ho hopefully he will be back at some point and, and we'll be able to lower that ERA. Don't you mean 
hopefully hopefully he'll be back (laughs) at some point. Yeah, I I should have said that. But but that game was a a total mess. Uh, Ron Darling, I think, said on the broadcast, my scorebook is a crime scene. Yeah. And, And that was the game when the Mets broadcasters were not in the visitor's booth because the Coliseum possum reappeared. That's right. The possum in the booth still has has (sighs) not been transplanted, so (laughs) they had to move booths. And on the field, uh, things were even worse. Uh, So uh, the A's issued 17 walks, which was, I think, an Oakland A's record. And then the Mets, who drew the 17 walks, I think that was a franchise record. I think at least one of those free passes was a hit by pitch and not a walk. Potentially, but yeah, it's not it's not it good, bad. Ben. Yeah, there was a, a Sarah Langs stat because the Mets had two six run innings in the game and had one hit in yeah. each of those innings. Yeah. So Sarah Langs found a six run inning with one hit had happened twice in the same season, only once since nineteen seventy four, and that was with two separate teams in two separate games. Yeah. The A's did it twice in a four inning span. The Mets won that game 17 to 6 despite being out hit 13 to 11, which was not the greatest margin of victory ever by a team that got out hit, but it was up there. So it's just um it's it's wild. Like you can't it was even extremely wild. Yeah, yeah, not effectively wild. It was the, truly the A's, wild. The, the A's have a, a 7.74 ERA as a staff yeah. through their first 17 games. Yeah. And I just that headed that and the only team with a higher ERA in its first 17 games of a season was the 1951 Browns at 8.29. The Browns finished that season with a 338 winning percentage, which would translate to 55 wins over a 162 game season. I think the A's, I'm not going to say they would be happy with that, but I think it's, I would be surprised if they won that many games at this point. Like this is an intentionally terrible team. Yeah. Kyle Kishimoto wrote about them for us uh, yesterday, and so these stats have changed a little bit through through 16 games. Yes, it was the Browns and then the 55 Kansas City A's, uh, and here is a, a little nugget. Those teams each, and here I'm quoting from Kyle, went on to allow at least 5.7 runs per game across the entire season. <sighs> that is no. so many runs. Like, it is a... <laughs> it is a... Real bad situation there. Yeah. Although, uh, as, as Kyle noted, when the um, news of Mason Miller getting called up um, hit the transom, he picked a good time to write about him. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's he noted at the end of this that like uh, his stuff is easily the best stuff on Oakland staff, and he wasn't even in the bigs yet. So, <laughs> oh, boy, uh, not yeah. um, not a good. Not a good time in Oakland right now. A a long season. Yeah. Yeah. The fans there deserve a lot better than what they're getting. All right. So we'll finish with the pass blast. Meant to mention, by the way, when we were talking about, uh, I like when like challenge trades work out well for everyone. So far, just an extremely early check-in on the Braves Brewers A's trade. Mm. The uh, Estuary Ruiz and Sean Murphy and William Contreras trade. Mm-hmm. All those guys have been good thus far. Yeah. You know? so, so that's kind of working out well. Yeah. Estuary Ruiz has a, a 140 WRC plus. Yeah. You know, a high Babbitt, but he's a high Babbitt guy. Yeah. So, so far, at least the bat has not been knocked out of his hands. Sean Murphy is leading the major leagues in war by a catcher. Yeah. Not not that surprising. He's he's very good. He's very good. Also, William Contreras, 
who has a 112 WRC plus, uh, you know, not hitting for power, high BABIP, et cetera. But also, and here's the thing about him, he was not a good framer in yeah, the past. Yeah, he's looked much better behind the plate. He is leading the majors yes. by a lot yes. in framing. And that's sort of a small sample stat that is often telling. So Sean Murphy is second in framing, but it's a distant second to William Contreras. And this is not the first time that yeah. the Brewers maybe have fixed a framer, yeah. right? Because they famously did that with Omar, Omar Narvaez, who yeah. was quite bad with the White Sox and the Mariners and then became a very good framer with the Brewers. It so. was so upsetting to watch. It was <laughs> just, I was like, why is this happening to me personally? You know, yeah. and I knew that it wasn't actually about me because that would be very big headed but it felt pointed in a way that I really haven't experienced until people decided they don't like ground beef as a nickname. And then I was like, wow, once again, just (laughs) floored by the world. Yeah. So he's been working on his framing and it seems to work. So, so far, good returns for everyone. Although, you know, look, uh, the Braves have the best catcher in baseball right now, Sean Murphy. I'm sure they're quite pleased with that. Yeah. I don't think that they have any complaints in that part of their roster. If Contreras can frame now, though, he doesn't have to hit as well as he did last year. Correct. He'll still be quite valuable. All right. Here's the pass blast from 1995 and from David Lewis, who's an architectural historian and baseball researcher based in Boston. 1995, Jethro sues MLB for pension. Hmm. In 1950, Sam Jethro debuted for the Boston Braves, becoming the first black ball player to play for the franchise and for either of Boston's then two major league teams. Jethro excelled that year, leading the National League in stolen bases, and at age 33 was voted NL Rookie of the Year, still the oldest player to win Rookie of the Year honors. 45 years later, Jethro was living in Erie, Pennsylvania, running a bar and raising two grandchildren without the assistance of an MLB pension. At the time, ex-players needed four years of Major League Service time to qualify for a pension. Jethro, whose career was significantly shortened by baseball's color barrier, played just three years in the majors, or at least in the white majors. Jethro, who played eight seasons in the Negro American League between 1938 and 1948, primarily for the Cleveland Buckeyes, decided to fight on behalf of himself and his fellow Negro Leagues veterans. As reported in an April 22, 1995 Baltimore Sun article, a class action lawsuit was filed on Jethro's behalf on March 30th of that year against Major League Baseball, the Players Association, and the Pension Fund. The lawsuit claimed violations of civil rights, antitrust, and trademark laws while accusing the organizations of fraud and conspiracy. At the time the lawsuit was filed, Jethro was struggling to pay his bills, saying, right now, I don't know how much longer I can pay in regard to his apartment. In reference to the unequal treatment Jethro and other black players faced even after the color barrier was broken, former Players Union representative Marvin Miller, who agreed to testify at the trial, said, all things being equal, he did not have as much opportunity to accumulate service time as a white player. He just had to be better. Jethro, looking out for his grandchildren, envisioned how much an expansion of the pension fund could help his family, potentially allowing him to put a down payment on his house for his grandchildren or on a house for his grandchildren. Said Jethro, it's hard for me looking out for them, but I'm going to look out for them the best that I can. In October 1996, the lawsuit filed on Jethro's behalf was dismissed by a federal judge. In January 1997, MLB owners voted to provide pensions for Negro League players who had at least four years of service time in the Negro Leagues and the AL and NL combined. Jethro and many other players who faced similar circumstances immediately became eligible for pensions between $7,500 and $10,000 annually. Jethro passed away in Erie, Pennsylvania at the age of 84 in 2001. So it's good that he and his grandchildren got something, but that was an oversight for a long time. 
And uh, there were still some players who were passed over there, like Ron Teasley, our guest on uh, episode 1887, who's one of the few surviving players to play in the Negro Leagues during the years that were reclassified as major by MLB. And he's uh, 96 now. I think we talked on that episode about him not getting a pension because he he fell between the years when you could qualify. And and there were so few survivors uh, when they did that reclassification that they didn't offer pensions to those players, one of whom is Willie Mays, of course. But that seems like an oversight, too. So, you know, one of the the many sad legacies of that time, of course, but uh, there was some rectifying of that belatedly done. See, like, that's a very important, like, story. And so it's really stymieing my ability to do my muddy voicing. Yeah, (laughs) right. All right. I didn't think of this before, but it occurs to me now that if there was ever a time for people to use the Michael Jackson meme of him eating popcorn in the thriller video, people always post that whenever there's some juicy debate online. What better time than in Anthony Bass Popcorn Gate? This is a nuanced, reasoned, temperate discussion you get from this podcast. We're not hot take artists out here condemning Anthony Bass and his wife as the worst parents of all time or blasting the flight attendant. We will seek more information. We will try to see all sides. We will bring you layered sports and airline etiquette discussion. Couple other follow-ups for you here. Another extension after we finished recording. Hunter Green extended by the Reds. Six years, 53 million. Also, the Rays' Jeffrey Springs expected to have Tommy John surgery. The Pirates' JT Brubaker did have Tommy John surgery. And here's an update for you. I'm not going to say we got confirmation that Shohei Otani listens to Effectively Wild, but I let off last week's episode by talking about how long it had been since Shohei Otani had so much as attempted to steal a When we recorded on Friday, I think it had been 42 games dating back to last August since he had attempted to steal one and he hadn't actually stolen one since last July. We talked about whether this was a self-preservation strategy, whether he just decided he wasn't good at it, whether this is the angels limiting him. I said I was a little bit disappointed that that aspect of his game seemed to have fallen by the wayside. Well, what do you know? On Monday, he attempted a steal and was caught. And on Tuesday, he attempted one and was safe. He stole a base. The timing seems suggestive. That's all I'm saying. Certainly didn't mean to pressure or shame you, Shohei, but I'm taking this as a sign, which does not mean that I will tone down my admiration for the man. In other news, there was a notable quote by Carlos Correa, who said about being booed at Yankee Stadium, it's gasoline in your Ferrari. I love it. And this just provides further evidence that either Carlos Correa's agent, Scott Boris, is providing him with metaphors and analogies, or those two are just so simpatico that they're a perfect match for each other. Of course, Correa of the Dior store analogy almost seems supplied by Boris, but here he goes with the gasoline in the Ferrari. Maybe he's just wired that way or Scott's way with words has rubbed off on his client. Love to hear it. Lastly, got two player name mix ups for you here. Now, if Hobie and Hogan Harris were on the same team, we'd probably hear them being confused all the time. Hobie Landreth, I meant to mention, was the original Met picked with the first pick by the Mets in the expansion draft because, as Casey Stengel famously said, you got to have a catcher or you'd have a lot of past balls. So we're still waiting for our first Hobie Hogan case of mistaken identity. But the man who inspired this recurring bit of ours, Tyler Wade, he's back in the big leagues with the A's. He played in that series against the Mets. And on Sunday, he pinch ran. And here are Ron Darling and Gary Cohen on the Mets broadcast. And now being asked to try and save this one. 
with a one-run lead in the bottom of the tenth and a free runner at second base. Well, I was just going to say that he's been so good. There have been very little base runners, so not of his doing. He will start this inning with a runner on second. That'll be uh, Dia. No, they're going to pinch run Taylor Wade for him. Tyler, Tyler Wade, Wade, sorry. Pinch hit in yesterday's game. So look at that. Even though Tyler Wade and Taylor Ward are no longer teammates, Tyler Wade's still getting called Taylor as soon as he's back in the big leagues. Also, another Angels-related name mix-up just dropped. This is from Saturday's Angels game, and former Mets broadcaster Wayne Rendazzo is on the mic, debuting an Anthony Rendon-Hunter Renfro mix-up. Rendon reaches out and lines a base hit, or Renfro, rather. Add it to the list. Today's Effectively Wild intro theme came from Patreon supporter Gabriel Ernest. It, of course, samples Sam Miller in his famous intro from episode 512. You can keep your Effectively Wild intro theme submissions coming to podcast at fangraphs.com. You can also support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay ad-free aside from our stat class sponsorship, and get the themselves access to some perks. Ross Wallace, Warren Schmidt, Dan Roberts, Drew Broadfoot, and Bobby Pants. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group for patrons only. Coming up on 1,100 members in that bustling, teeming, inclusive community. You also get access to monthly bonus episodes, plus playoff live streams. You can get discounts on merch and ad-free fancrafts memberships and much, much more. Check it out at patreon.com slash effectivelywild. If you are a supporter, you can message us through the Patreon site. If not, you can contact us via email, as mentioned, at podcast.fancrafts.com. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We will be back with another episode a little later this week. Get your laps in, stave off your hamstring strains, and we will talk to you then.